and welcome to the Zero Stars Podcast, a podcast about video games and the usual danger of sharks. My name is Bob. And my name is Matt. And we're going to talk about video games. But, but before we do that, we are going to talk about the usual danger of sharks. Uh, uh, what, I recently, is, what is the usual danger of sharks? It's very high. Um, so I learned recently about a book uh, by Jacques Cousteau. Or about Jacques Cousteau. I actually have no that's, idea if he wrote this. That's Bill Murray, right? Yep. It's play, as played by Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah. um, but Jacques Cousteau, uh, noted sea explorer, Jacques Cousteau, uh, and just a consummate Frenchman, really. Um, anyways, so he uh, has this book called The Whale. And there is a picture in this book, which I recently discovered. And if you can find a copy of this book, it is wonderful and amazing but it does have this one picture that i love where it is a nighttime shot of a man climbing into the water wearing a full scuba suit but the picture is kind of a wide angle and in the foreground standing on the dock is just a naked guy and it says the caption is a nighttime dive with the usual danger of sharks Someone has no fear. Yes, exactly. One of these people is prepared. The other one is a baller. <laughs> um, and so I just want us to approach every day like the naked man who is about to go on a nighttime dive. So I know that you encountered this book accidentally, right? I did, yeah. Um, I will be purchasing a copy. I know of this you book. will be purchasing a copy of this book. My question for you is what if you find out that this book is like running for 100 bucks used? Do you still make this purchase? No. That would be a bummer. That would really, I would, that would make me sad. Maybe we can get a poster. Uh, I actually want a poster of a different image from this book. The one of Shamu? No, it's uh, Jacques Cousteau like looking up into a flurry of seagulls. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, all right. I so think they're called a flock of seagulls. But yeah, I, I think they are. And, and well, That was it's very weird, poetic though, though a they, flurry. Yeah, well they fly, but actually but the truth is that they call it running away. Uh, which is a strange thing so far away anyway we're gonna run away from that terrible joke and uh talk about uh mail that we've received from our readers our flock of readers reader mail yeah welcome flock of readers um we have two pieces of mail that we're going to tackle today on this very special episode very special episode we are going to devote today's episode to a single video game the legend of zelda the breath of the wild but not before we talk about reader mail yep all right so i'm going to read um a piece of reader mail that is actually kind of very much aimed towards bob because it's uh referencing one of bob's favorite things from uh the previous week do you want to recap that quickly bob you had mentioned talking about the september issue oh yeah so uh two weeks ago i guess by the time you guys are going to hear this i uh my favorite thing was a film a documentary called the september issue which is about the september issue of vogue and how that gets made every year uh and we received some mail uh letting me know what's up because it sounds like matt as a recipient accidentally of teen vogue you are on the cutting edge oh i knew that okay so tell us tell us what we got in this email okay so this is from autumn and autumn wrote and i'm just going to uh to paraphrase slightly at the beginning here I was going to write a long thing about Vogue, but I couldn't figure out how to say it without sounding like a jackass. Story of my life. But things have changed a lot since the September issue, referring to the the film, the September issue. And Bob, I think you might be interested in how Vogue is resisting a lot of newly established movements. Think 
bloggers and body positivity. Everyone else has gotten on board, but Vogue refuses and it's hurting its relevance. But didn't you hear? Teen Vogue is the woke one. Anyway, times two. To make this about video games, I wanted to ask you guys, I wanted to ask what you guys think makes a good game soundtrack and which ones are your most and least favorites. Yeah, so thank you so, for writing in, Autumn. Yeah, thanks, Autumn. Um, and uh, you want to tackle this? I'm going to let you well, talk about Vogue. I just want to talk about Vogue. Uh, I know you just want to talk about Vogue. All I've day. I've been um, spending time with you recently. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I this is awesome because I actually had no idea about Teen Vogue. Um, and yeah, this movie is older, so it is totally outdated. And my understanding now is that Teen Vogue uh, does have really progressive and awesome stories. And that a lot of those things actually appear online, which is very interesting. That's because um, the teens like it online. I mean, that's where it's going to get read, right? Yeah, so it makes sense. It's it's much more blogger appropriate. Yeah, yeah. blogger blogging so, culture. Uh, that's really cool, and I didn't know, and now I do. Um, is I it too late to rescind your subscription to Vogue and get one to Teen Vogue? I don't think so. I'm not subscribed to any of them. Oh. Um, but I will be checking this out online, and I do hope that. Uh, actual proper vogue can kind of pull itself into modernity um because if not like what purpose does it serve right it needs to exist on the cutting edge of this stuff so uh i hope that it can kind of catch up to its younger sibling yeah uh, as we all often do i feel like my sister's really cool and she's younger than me she's very progressive yeah she's awesome um all right so yeah i will look into that and that's fantastic and thank you for educating me because this is a whole area that i really know nothing about um regarding video game soundtracks uh what do you think let's just start with with some of our favorites and i guess our least favorites um i actually can't really think of any least favorites yeah i i can i so what i was thinking about this Honestly, I don't think particularly deeply about video game soundtracks. Like, I think that the Super Meat Boy original soundtrack hmm. is an amazing soundtrack for a video game. And then they re-released it on the PlayStation 4. Any modern version of that game that you get has this new soundtrack that I think is a bucket of crap compared to the uh, original one, which is a big bummer. But um, I think a lot of games have good soundtracks. I think that I really don't necessarily single out games for like that's the best soundtrack where i single games out is when they have soundtracks that are really incongruous uh with what the game is would you actually highlight zelda breath of the wild as an example of i think that's a very good soundtrack yeah no it's an excellent soundtrack but it blends seamlessly yeah with the world it doesn't feel as though and that's why i think there are two schools of soundtrack creation um I think that there's the there's the one where it, where it's meant to just assist. Essentially, it is there as a as an environmental sort of like tone setter, and then there's soundtracks that are much closer to like traditional film scores. Yeah, I, I mean, it operates a lot like UI, I guess, to a degree. Is that if it's working well, then maybe you don't notice it. I think that in many cases, that's that's what yeah. you want, right? You want it to be something that uh, simply elevates the situation. Um, and where it's bad is when it distracts from the situation. And I, well, I think that it can go two ways. So I would say that like on the same, to take a recent game soundtrack that I think is really phenomenal, Persona 5. Okay. Um, I think that Persona 5's music and its UI tends to in many ways transcend the rest of the game because they're both so flashy and so well done. Um, and I think that maybe it's just that by virtue of that, it's setting a tone. 
but um I, don't, I do like a good video game soundtrack i love the um i mean first of all i love like all the umetsu i'm definitely pronouncing that name wrong um but the final fantasy uh soundtracks the old ones i'm i mean my favorite of all time might be chrono cross which is just like Great a phenomenal music. really really yeah like music. a mediterranean celtic blend of like yeah fantastic music so i don't i think that like they're it, similar to film scores like it, there's the you have the iconic kind of like scores and then you, you have, have ones that are pretty good yeah you have ones that are pretty i good mean i have seen uh speaking of my sister one time she got me tickets to go see zelda music performed by an orchestra so yeah i like a lot of the zelda music um, I don't know that there's a single Zelda game that I would say like every one on this is a banger, but certainly when you stack all of the good ones next to each other and have yeah. them played by an orchestra, you realize that they are consistently great. And that's the tricky thing about video game music is that there's so much of it. Right. Like by virtue of the fact that you have hundreds of hours of. Right. Well, and I do time. think that what's interesting about video game soundtracks is when your expectations for them can be subverted. Um, and so I think that. You know, we talk pretty often about the uh, Dark Souls, the first Dark Souls having a silent title screen. Yes. And that being extremely strange. And I think that's time and still strange. I think it sets a tone for it, right? Because it's kind of threatening because it's an unnatural uh, place to not have any music as games go. But it's, it's, arguably my favorite title screen of all time. Oh, I think it's, I think it's wonderful. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's some, there are some soundtracks that stand out to me. The work Ooh. that Supergiant, the dude who I can't remember his name, but the yep. guy who does the work of Supergiant. Supergiant's great. The uh, music for The Last of Us, which was done by the film Argentine film composer um, Gustavo Santa Olala. I'm probably. Whoa, yeah. I never would have gotten that. Um, he did the music for Brokeback Mountain, which is also, oh, really? it's very, he does a lot of just like very spare sort of guitar. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff. Um, and I think the music in The Last of Us is really excellent because every so often you just hear like the brush of the guitar and you're like, okay, a music track is about to start. That's cool. And then it comes in. I really like the music uh, for Hotline Miami. That's the soundtrack. Oh, I forgot about that. I listen yeah. to Hotline Miami soundtrack pretty often. Mm-hmm. Just have it on. The issue with that, I guess, is that it is tracks that existed outside of hotline miami i don't oh, think okay. that so anything on that maybe that's some the of it scorsese of like yeah, yeah not the yeah. vast majority of it existed prior to hotline miami and it's really just a sick mixtape but if you have never just listened to that soundtrack you should just throw that thing on and, yeah and get some work done because it's really fun let's just say i also really love some old like midi file like Final Fantasy yes. music like that the, from the like the opera scene in Final Fantasy six yeah. is like one of the highlights. I, I love the dumb like kind of like super NES level like attempt at like a vocal track that mm-hmm. they use. And I think that it's sort of an interesting abstraction of actual like sung vocals that totally. they try to create. Um, that's probably grating on anybody else's ears. But if you grew up with that sort of stuff. Yeah, pretty it's fun. a really neat style. Yeah. Um, so video game soundtracks, that's... I can't think of any, like, overtly bad ones, but... Uh, I The one I think of is, like, as just tremendously incongruous is the Project Cars <laughs> music, which sounds like it is out of the most intense, like, war movie. It is orchestral and nuts. Ugh. And it is just, like, 
you're buying a Honda Civic. <laughs> oh man. Um another good one, Katamari Damacy. Yes, that's great. All the Katamari games have astoundingly good music. You know what has really good music that I and is music that I reference all the time? Uh the first Sims game and all later Sims game always have really good building music. When you're like creating oh. a house and you're just building the house, it like drops in this piano, like cruising sort of piano funky thing. And uh, I always think of that. And there's a lot of music out in the world that I find resembles that, but does not yeah. ascend to its heights. <laughs> so that's an excellent that's an excellent segue. Okay, because I know where you're going with this. I am, but I think that we can't not reference civilizations astounding oh. opening music. Yes, that we should play as an outro on this show if we can. Anyway, um, all right. So you you had a really clean little segue there into you went and busted it. Sims, up. I did, but then I just because I I like got that Civ Four music stuck in my head. Again. <laughs> all right, I'll accept um, it. Okay, so we have another reader mail that we have been kind of putting off answering because it was in an area that is even more foreign to us than Vogue, perhaps. Uh, Evelyn wrote in saying, "Hi, both." Was wondering, will you ever make an all-exclusive episode about the best game franchise ever to exist? I am, of course, talking about The Sims. Hashtag making magic forever. Uh, we are not going to do that, but mainly because we do not have enough experience with it. That said, I want to acknowledge that The Sims 2, which is the most recent Sims game that I played a lot of, uh was amazing and had a mechanic that I feel like other games should steal. Uh, what's your experience with The Sims? Pretty shaky memory of it. Um, not a whole lot of experience. My main experience with this, uh, like my main interactions with The Sims as a franchise comes from kind of like internet culture, I would say. <laughs> and this is sort of the strange thing. Like I feel like there, I've read like a lot of Tumblr posts and uh, like even in certain cases, 4chan threads where people are just recounting these experiences that they've had within the Sims. They're just like super strange experiences. Of course, on the 4chan threads, it's usually like about like being a beta and like creating a beta version of yourself in the Sims that just like never finds love and that kind of like sort of bullshit internet culture stuff. I don't really hang out on 4chan, so I don't know about that, but I do know that I like the Sims too. Um, and so... You know, in The Sims 2, The Sims are games where you make a little group of people and they cohabitate. That's what The Sims is. Although and some people arguably use it almost exclusively as an architectural, yeah, sort of like a, a design. Because interior, you can build houses. Yeah, interior design game. Right. And, and so I think that the first game really lent itself to that because the actual interpersonal parts of it were really kind of weak. And like what you were actually doing with a Sim was not very well defined. And what they did in the second game, and which I love, is that they made it so that every single day your character has goals. And these are represented by uh, three slot machine wheels. And so your character, every character in your house wakes up and this slot machine triggers and they are given three goals. And those goals will be something like eat an apple or it'll be like make seventy five thousand dollars a year or it'll be something like buy a car and then you 
if you accomplish it in that day, they get like a benefit to their happiness. And you have to guide them into doing this. They will not you necessarily do. They do. They will it. not pursue it on their own. And beyond that, if it is a goal that is larger than a single day, the reward is large enough that you might want to pursue it over several days. And so what you can do is click on it, lock it, and say, I'm going to work towards this goal, which means it won't turn over the next day, which means you're potentially taking yourself out of the running for another easy to attain goal tomorrow in hopes of accomplishing this larger goal later. And I think that is an amazing mechanic uh, because there are so many games that work on day night cycles. And the idea of having something that's like today, you should try to do this is really interesting to me. So that is interesting. And I really, I do, I do like that. And I think that like, that would be interesting to see how that plays out in games like Harvest Moon or Stardew Valley. Exactly. I think those are perfect examples of where that could work. So I, I have a quick question. This might be a stupid question, but, um, in the Sims, I guess I always think of it very much as being like a set it and leave it sort of game, but it's clearly not. Can you take direct physical control over individual Sims bodies? Essentially. Uh, essentially. I mean, you can't like move them around with like a joystick or anything like that. Okay. So you can't be like, go to the kitchen. You no, you can do exactly. Oh, that. you can, but do you that. just tell them to do it and then they do it. Like you say, you click on a spot and say, you go okay. here now and, if it's and something make that, something in the microwave and they will go do it. But is, will they have, are there personality traits where they'll be like, no, I don't want to do that. And so they'll resist doing it. Um, I think that there are personality traits where they might be slow to do it because they are mm-hmm. already doing another activity, which is dictated by their personality. Because yeah. if you let them idle, they will do their own stuff. And you can only control the family that you create. You can't go across the street, find a neighbor and click on that neighbor and say like, neighbor, go use the... In my experience, no. Okay. Um, but there's something there's something weird, and sort of like, in my opinion, sort of fucked up about the fact that you can like suddenly inhabit. I guess, and I guess it's not this clean, but the fact that you could like suddenly sort of inhabit a sim that you have otherwise like just willed into being. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of the game. The game is. I guess that, that is you video game. Just watch them uh, exist, yeah. but that. If you want them to be efficient and you want them to accomplish their goals, they need some sort of direction. Yeah, that's why I keep ant farms. Yep, exactly. I keep telling them I set them goals. And, and like, now buy my, a car today. Yeah, I have an ant that's making much more than I am. Yeah, online. Online. <laughs> From home. Yeah, oh, wow. We should pursue um, that later. So I know I, I referenced like earlier that the fact that like my main interaction with the Sims has been through, uh, through internet culture. And because I every so often will wander afield from the comfortable sort of locations where things are safe on the internet and not like disgusting. Um, but sometimes it also like turns up some really strange and interesting things. And one of the weirdest experiences I've had, like with internet culture in general, um, involved the sims and i was i was on imager you're familiar with imager i am it's a place for images yeah it's mostly i think probably known as like a reddit image hosting site it's like the reddit image hosting site but imager actually is its own uh social community in of itself that has like a very specific kind of identity um i like imager even have an imager account uh and i like going on there and sometimes i'll set it to like just what's called like the user submitted section one day, I found this post on Imager called uh, Gerald Cheese House, parentheses, version 2.0. <laughs> uh, 
this is an imager album with images of a house that's built in The Sims. Okay. So you're just looking at a house. And there's maybe like 30 images and it just takes you from room to room in the house. This is not particularly strange. But underneath it, there are these like second person descriptions. It's like you are Gerald Chi and you live in this house with your father. Oh no. And it just takes you from room to room with like, and it's not a narrative exactly, but there is a story and an undertone here. And like just to to like read a sample of this, um, there's like an an image of uh of like a bedroom, and it's I guess it's your bedroom as Gerald Chi, and um like certain words like specific items will just be capitalized, mm-hmm. almost like in a film script, as though it's like serves some purpose. So this is an example quote: This angle reveals your lofted bed with your desk and laptop underneath. <laughs> You what? also have a string base next to your bed, hidden behind the high back chairs that haunt this house. <laughs> and so it's just like it's like it's like this room by room like description of like all of these places. This by the way, this has only been viewed two hundred and two times total since its existence in like the past. I believe it was posted in May of this year. Okay. At least 20 of those are me. <laughs> it's on Imager. You can rate things. This has a negative one rating. <laughs> no one else is looking at this. I am obsessed with it. Yeah. I go back and I reread it often just because there is this strange haunting quality to it. Has this person posted any other stories? He has posted other things, G. but no, nothing like this. He's posted some mm-hmm. other like sort of like two or three other inscrutable things, including Gerald Cheese House version one, which is the album almost exactly, but during the day. Oh, so great. it's the house at day and there's no text. Oh, that's so strange. So it's like version one is house at day, no text. Version two is like this house at night and just taking you room to room. And it like there's like repeated motifs. Like there's this like um, it's just ve- it's very like eerie and kind of weird. And man, I love it. And this is like one of those things where I love the fact that The Sims is a thing that allows somebody to make something like that. Yeah, it's very much a yeah. storytelling machine. And it is. the Even- story that is told is like lightly guided by the game. Exactly. And I think that like the fact that you can also just use it to create a house and then you craft some sort of strange like not even narrative like i just i don't know who gerald she is there's like a line it's like his friends all call him jerry <laughs> <laughs> that's great i love oh that it's so built cool this and i love this is like the one reason why i enjoy like just browsing strange stuff on the internet is because you find weird little creations like this and i will never forget gerald she's house i'm so glad that we just visited it right now <laughs> yeah so those are my thoughts on the sims yeah that's awesome and yeah i think the sims are incredible games and i hope that they keep making them and i hope that they keep pursuing those sorts of ways of making it more of an active game yeah while retaining the parts of it that allow you to make gerald cheese house yeah exactly so will wright has our approval to keep on keeping on i think so we'll let him do it as long as he doesn't make another spore speaking of games uh Matt, there's a game called The Legend of Zelda, The Breath of the Wild. Oh, I thought it was The Breathe of the Wild. That uh, would have another E in it. So well, I always get those be, two mixed up. It would either be Zelda. <laughs> Zelda. Uh, no. <laughs> um, so, okay. The Breath of the Wild uh, is the newest Zelda game. It is on the Switch. It is also on the Wii U in a lesser version. And this game is astonishing, incredible, and wonderful. Do you disagree? Um, I would try and find higher words of praise <laughs> if I could. I maybe the second coming of Christ. 
not to be hyperbolic. Yeah. Uh, it's a very good video game. It's an incredible goddamn video game. And I love it very deeply, which is why we are going to now take some time uh, to do a potentially spoilerish. I think there's probably going to be like enough. Uh, this is, As we've commented before, this game sort of redefines the concept of spoiler. Um, yeah, so anything that so we far, reveal is probably kind of a problem. Yeah, not because the plot is, I mean, the plot is exactly what you think the plot is going to be. Uh, Link and Ganon will face off at some point. You are going to fight a bad pig man. And you'll probably win. You are going to beat enough. that you're pig You're definitely going to man. win. Yeah, actually, as we'll talk about soon, you will definitely beat Ganon um, if you follow the main story path of this game. But yeah, like there's all kinds of weird little shit in this game that's so delightful that sometimes I feel like just maybe like we shouldn't even tell people that you can climb trees in this game because the joy of coming out of the cave at the beginning and just jumping on a tree and being like, I can climb this. I can do, I can do anything. And it's just like, it's like experiencing the joy of climbing a tree as a child all over. It is, it is one of the only experiences that you can have in video games that feels both intimately familiar and very new, I think in 2017. Yes. Uh, so, okay, we think it's good, which is why we're about to tell you the parts of it that we like the least. Yeah, we're going to talk about what sucks in this game. Yeah, because honestly, to just talk about all the things we love would be silly, and by talking about the things we don't like, we will inevitably talk about the things that we do like. So, this is a very roundabout way of doing it. We're going to pick three things that we find kind of problematic, and we're going to just talk about our issues with it, and if undoubtedly talk about how we like it do you think problematic's the right word uh i think that they kind of potentially are black marks on otherwise a perfect report card is that a metaphor i don't think so i always had red (sighs) oh well red was the color anyways i got perfect grades so it doesn't really make sense for me i didn't get grades you got like three crocodiles (laughs) matt's doing very four shamus boat (laughs) doing very boat all right. Jacques Cousteau. Jacques Cousteau says, so there's this also, also this excellent picture sharks. in this book of Jacques Cousteau's son uh, flying this weird hot air balloon jet pack. And it says, it's like whatever his name is, Cousteau. And it, it's great because the picture, his face is like that person who's having a fan blown in their face. <laughs> uh, but he's like piloting this jetpack like gripping the grips of this thing like a, is this like a mario sunshine kind of jetpack or uh it's uh, attached to a hot air balloon but it says okay. it says like whatever his name is Cousteau flying his hot air balloon of which he is the only pilot the only qualified pilot <laughs> and it looks like something that he could easily teach anyone to do <laughs> but he clearly has never taught anyone else how to do it. Uh, Alphonse. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a name like that. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah, you mean a French name? Oui, oui. Pierre. Yes. Well, there's also this section where it's like, ah, the this man has figured out how to paint under the sea. But they do not show the painting to you, <laughs> implying that it looks like ass. <laughs> but also, there's just this element where you're like, when will they figure out how to smoke under the water? <laughs> Ah, I bring a baguette to the ocean floor. <laughs> like it is amazing how French it is. Uh, anyway, oh man, so I want a baguette. I always want a baguette with some brie. Oh, speaking do you remember of that food. scene in Twin Peaks no, when Jerry, going. Jerry and Ben Horn are just like nerding out over over baguettes with brie and butter? I mean, I love brie and butter. Yeah, 
man, dairy baguettes. <sighs> so what we're talking what about game food. We're talking about well, here we're you're actually talking about Zelda because the first thing that I want to talk about being disappointed in with the Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild is the cooking. Wait, you don't like the cooking? So okay, you can he, skip it. If you press that one button, you can kind of skip it. But here, here's the deal. Yeah, no, you can't really skip in it. In this game, unlike other Zelda games where you recovered uh, health, uh, you'd be injured by an enemy or something like that. You, you recover heart. by finding hearts in the environment, which just healed your character. Very realistic. Yeah, I mean, that's actually how it works. This has a very, um, I would say, abstract you, system. Yeah, because I, I know there have been times like I'll be like dicing an onion and I'll like cut myself with yeah. a knife and I just immediately go through my house, pick up every pot I can find, smash it, looking for uh, <laughs> a human heart I just that I can a, then ingest. I just keep a jar of them. Oh, that's smarter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it took a lot of work up front. Better than eating you. a fairy, though. Yes. Uh, well, they're harder to catch. They fly away. And crunchy. Um, so, okay. This game, unlike that, you find ingredients in the environment. These are, resemble real-world ingredients, right? So you'll yeah. pick plants and find mushrooms and all or that sort of stuff. Or maybe you'll be cutting grass or you'll cut some rice. Yep. Some, yeah, some long grain rice. And, and then you'll take all that, put it in a pot, and it will turn into something that restores your character's health. Yeah, and there are recipes that you can access so you can make everything from um banana bread omelets to omelets to uh smoked not smoked meats but roasted meats if you salt the meats they give you more health yeah there's a lot of different combinations of the food that can improve the effectiveness of its healing it's it's often a joy to discover new foods is and so this is kind of where i come down on it yes it is aesthetically interesting that you can make all these different things but the fact of the matter is most of the combinations i found make the same things and when i'm making those same things i know what ingredients work for them and so it's just like i found that radishes were very effective so i would just make things with radishes with big hearty radishes, I think are the best. Those all work better. Is it better to have truffles or radishes? Truffles are also great because both give you extra hearts. Yes, which are great for taking on big bosses. But which is is there a is are truffles or radishes better? I don't know, and so that's which is kind, frustrating. that's kind of the issue yeah. is that so often you're just sort of making combinations of things, and I wouldn't be clear on whether or not just adding more of ingredients actually improved the thing I was making or not. Yeah. And the process of actually making things takes a little longer than I probably want, even skipping the animation. And so you kind of end up in a situation where you're just combining stuff, and eventually you'll have enough, whatever. Or you're just, you're just cooking a lot of bananas because you want to get your attack up, and it's the easiest, simplest way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I think that there's there's certainly a science to it. There's it's not random. It. You could be good at it, but the fact that we have played a cumulative probably like two hundred fifty to two hundred hours of this game, and neither of us know that science or are particularly invested in learning it, says something. Yeah, it's it's the sort of thing that is remarkably deep, but to no end, and that depth doesn't get doesn't benefit the game necessarily parts of it kind of do and when you first start playing it i think it feels just like you've like you've cooked like three things and so you're just 
the world is open to me. What else is out there? And you need it. Yeah. Early in the game, you need it. it. Yeah. You need that food. It makes a huge difference. But then as you progress, it becomes, you just start making whatever you have and like honestly throwing anything in your inventory together in a great enough quantity just kind of gives you enough hearts. And so then it sort of stops being this fun science experiment and becomes this kind of boring animation that you have to sit through like 20 yeah. times in a row before you go tackle it becomes boss. it becomes waking up hungover and looking in your fridge and not being able to find anything that necessarily seems like it'll go together but maybe if you just throw it all into a bowl it'll work out that is an incredibly accurate uh like description of how this goes that is perfect because yeah it just is the sort of resignation of saying well here's some stuff and the fact that it works and it makes you feel better that's a nice yeah (laughs) it'll Um, fill your tummy yep and i think that one of the reasons that you know healing kind of doesn't matter as much is that this game is not particularly hard overall and so that's the next point that we have this game's difficulty is sort of strange well it's 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 a i i and i'm hesitant to say that it's not you're right it's not hard overall but it's a difficulty imbalance. The game starts very challengingly. When um, you begin it, you think it's going to be messed up because the yeah. first couple encounters you have, there are groups of enemies that in your weakened state, when you're barely used to the controls, they'll mess you up. Yeah, they will. They're they're pretty ruthless and the game will be pretty ruthless. And I think that lasts... There's in, and it's interesting because you look at these sort of contained environments like the plateau. In the game, you start on the plateau and the plateau is very much built like kind of like a Zelda dungeon actually now that I think about the it. The plateau is is the closest thing to a Zelda dungeon. I'd say that there are two Zelda dungeons, actual Zelda dungeons in this game. There's the plateau and then there's the castle. Um but we'll talk about the actual Zelda dungeons later. But the plateau because it is structured and not part of the larger world, you kind of reach a level of competency on the plateau where you're like, okay, like I'm getting pretty good at this. Then you get off the plateau and things are difficult again. Yeah, suddenly there are suddenly enemies things that are difficult. Are stronger. Yeah. You haven't seen them before. You're not and you're not sure how to deal with them. The issue is that once you're off the plateau, there's never and it you know plateau is a fair word for this. The difficulty level doesn't continue to level up in plateaus like that, like you would get in a more uh, structured game in a game that's not open world. And instead, like there are certainly some enemies in certain areas of the world that are much harder than others, but you never get that very clean. Um, kind of like amplification of the difficulty you know from space to space you're very rarely in another contained space yes because the game is just this enormous open world for you to explore and and balancing difficulty in an open world is extraordinarily difficult that's really it so you'll come up occasionally you'll run into those centaurs called lionels lionels yeah you'll you'll bump up against one of them and those guys will mess you up Oh, no yeah. matter how good you are. And taking like, one down for the first time is an incredible feeling of accomplishment. Oh, it's amazing. And and when you come upon them, uh, it's very exciting because they are such a challenge. And you'll see them at a distance, and they will attack you from a distance. And they, and can, so, they can see you from a distance, too. They have a much longer... They seem smart. They seem moblins, very smart. Moblins never seem particularly smart. The taller goblin, moblin things also yep. don't seem super smart. The Lynels are, for the lack of like overall diversity of enemies, which I don't really have 
I don't have too an much of an issue with, with it. Diversity in bosses we'll talk about later, but diversity of uh, enemies I don't have an issue with. It's nice. It's nice that the Lionels are as rare as they are because they they are they're truly frightening, genuinely. Terrifying. But at the same time, you do reach a point in the game when the Lionels are no longer like they're still tricky, but they're no longer absolutely terrifying. And unfortunately, by the time that you can start beating Lionels, you can probably waltz through you can walk Hyrule through Castle and kill Ganon, but you still have probably quite a, a few hours of you know quote unquote story left to get through. Um, which is why I think that the big imbalance here, and feel free to disagree with me if you want, is that if you take the traditional path through the game, which the game very much encourages you to do, by the time you get to Hyrule Castle and you get to Ganon, you are significantly overpowered. So I agree that I was not in any danger of losing that final fight. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't even, I think I used like two pieces of food in the end. I think that's about where I was. I was yeah. not, I, I did not, it was not a risk. Yeah. Um, so Ganon, I guess it's, it's, it's strange and it is a little anticlimactic. Uh, at the same time, it's not like, the rest of the game was unsatisfying. Oh, certainly And not. it's not like that fight was necessarily not satisfying. It just kind of was a thing that I did. And I think that at a certain point, the combat just kind of becomes a speed bump, no matter what type of enemy it is. Yeah. So it could be a boss. It could be Ganon himself. It could just be some enemy out in the field. It's a thing that you sort of cruise through. Yeah. Because it's never going to be something that actually threatens your ability to stay alive and move through the game. And the real reality of it is, even if it is something that could kill you, like let's say that they ratchet up the difficulty, the penalty for death is so minimal because you just yes. kind of start over where you were. Right where you were. That it doesn't really matter, and I don't think it helps the game for it to be significantly There's no, harder. unlike Dark Souls, and I know that we've talked about this before on the podcast, specifically when I was talking about the master mode in Zelda, which we're not actually going to get into here. Yeah, this is just the base We're talking about the game. base game, but this is still applicable in that um, the risk-reward for encountering enemies is not always super high in Zelda, unless if you just consider the joy of attacking enemies to be your reward. Um, because you're never risking very much. Never. You're, yeah. you're never... There is never be anything on the table. Because of the way that um, death works in Zelda which is unlike Dark Souls, for all the comparisons to Dark Souls that this game got, Death and Zelda has no penalty. Death and Dark Souls has very significant penalties. And so this game doesn't really ever teach you to be afraid. Right. You're afraid of the Lionels because... They seem smart. They seem smart. They can hit you at a distance. And oftentimes it's like once you've engaged them, the one thing you will lose if you die is the food that you ate before dying. And so mm. there's an interesting thing here where if you use items in a fight and it is a prolonged fight and then you die and you want to do that fight again because you lost it, you can end up in a situation where now you are out of food okay. or you have like point. used up some of your items. However, so for that reason, the Lionels are threatening, right? Because it's a long fight. And I guess that theoretically a boss might be similarly threatening because it might be a long fight. If the fight is against a normal enemy, anything that's short-lived, 
you're probably not going to use up enough of your resources for it to be something that was particularly threatening to you. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, and I mean, I guess it brings us back to the fact that then if you do, you know, the difficulty, what is the risk? The risk is that you have to go make more food that you don't really understand the purpose of. And that making the food yeah, kind of sucks. kind of sucks. It's yeah. just a time waste. So, so again, like the risk reward here, the risk is more like a, a just like you have to go do the not fun thing. You have to do the less fun parts yeah. of the game. Yeah. And that's not fair because there are times when making food can be a blast. So yeah, you're right. It's less fun. I wouldn't say it's not fun. It is right. less fun. But the most fun part of the game is the part where you say, that area looks cool. You walk over a hill and there's a Lionel down in the valley. Yes. And you kind of have that moment of like, oh, and you see it, see you. It sees you. And you just kind of don't know whether or not you can take it. Yeah. Uh, That is the moment that you want. And that's the really fun part of it. And once you've identified that, anything that comes between you and fighting that Lionel, kind of a bummer. Um, So... The, the way that difficulty works in the game is sort of a hindrance at that point. Man, I, now I just want to be playing Zelda. Yeah, I also I'm just like thinking about the experience of like cresting a hill. Oh, and we're going to talk about that. I yeah. Think, oh, I, I, we, we, we best. Anyway, should we move on to... Yeah, okay. So uh, third and final negative out of that we, that we grabbed out of here. About this piece of shit of the game. Oh, God, it's trash that I can't stop playing. Um, the Divine Beasts, which are the... Most analogous things that this game has to traditional Zelda dungeons, there are four of them. They are large-scale puzzles, uh, and they all feature a boss at the end. And they're yeah. the only part of the game that... I, well, I guess that there's some minor dungeon-y things that have sort of bosses at the end as well. But these, I would are, say these that are the real dungeons. Hyrule Castle, yeah, like I said before, the plateau is sort of a dungeon, and it's, and it's the fact that it is constructed to teach you things. The thing with that uh, that clan of... Of yes. assassins, that's like that's dungeon. very dungeony. Um, and Hyrule Castle at the very end is very dungeon oriented. It's very traditional dungeon, including having some big chests that you're like, oh yes, I got this special item that's going to be handy. Um, but yeah, I, whereas the Divine Beasts, although they are structurally placed in the game as though they were the Zelda dungeons are much more like a handful of shrines that are just sort of like stitched together. And the shrines in this game are are single yes. puzzles from an like they're the equivalent of a single puzzle from a more traditional Zelda dungeon. Although I would say often a much better puzzle than a lot of the original Zelda dungeon puzzles. I can and go I can go either I way think, on that. But I mean I think that most of the shrines are phenomenally fun. Oh, I I love all the shrines. Yeah. And I actually like a lot of the puzzles in the Divine Beasts. Oh, I do too. Um, yes. I think that they're really neat. I, my issue with the Divine Beasts comes down to the fact that they all look exactly the same inside. Yes. So the puzzles um, themselves, very fun, but they're all just these kind of drab brown interiors. This is sort of the opposite of the cooking issue where aesthetically it's very satisfying to cook things. Yeah. But it is not necessarily from a game of game perspective game systems perspective not super fun whereas the divine beasts are pretty fun from a game system yeah perspective. i enjoy playing them but aesthetically yeah all the divine beasts look the same inside and then when you get to the bosses which are all are, they're all just variations on ganon and they are all they prepare you for different forms of ganon that mm-hmm. you will encounter in the final ganon confrontation which is really smart design but it is it's one of those things that seems like really smart design on paper 
But I just wish that some of those attacks had just been worked into other enemies that were out in the environment that you encountered more often, and that these yeah. and that these bosses were more of one-offs. Because traditional Zelda, the boss enemies, in, they require something that's very specific to them at that time. Yeah, they're able to do that because traditional Zelda dungeons are based around a single weapon. So the assumption going in is, oh, you have that weapon. We can use that weapon to have you fight this enemy. We can build this enemy around that weapon. Whereas here, you can walk into any dungeon at any time. So they can't do that. Yeah, there can't be any kind of gating. And I think that maybe they could have made it in a way that there was gating. But yeah, it's, it's some a hard light, to say. Some light gating. I don't think that that would hurt. Just for the beast specifically. And I just wish that yeah. they looked different inside. Like I just wish they were exciting and memorable as opposed to just, well, here was another brown area and that interior. I fought in. Yeah. And it's it's cool feeling like you're inside of this gigantic thing and that you're manipulating it in this sort of like four-dimensional puzzle almost. Yeah, because you move the entire beast at times yes. to change your perspective on the environment, which is yeah. very cool. Very cool. Very satisfying. But yeah, then you fight the bosses and the bosses just all sort of look exactly the same. And they might have, like you said, they have different move sets, but... Yeah, it's just sort of, it lacks that sort of like sublime aspect of like encountering a giant random monster. It's like a giant worm or like a giant turtle or something that you're fighting. Whatever it is. Yeah, whatever it happens to be. Or, or a bunch of like having like eight different, man, can you imagine like one of those, those like when you have like the eight different knights that are all just circling around you in the old Zeldas? Oh, yeah. Remember those guys? And like they would like come in, they yes. almost look like they were dancing. And you need to defeat that. Can you imagine taking on like that many enemies in this one? Just like having to like duel with one while defending off another behind you. There are so Something, many other possibilities. Yeah. And More it feels imagination. Like, it just feels like the divine beasts are in a game so full of imagination. Yeah. That there's a real lack of imagination when it comes to them. Yeah. Uh, that said, my biggest problem with this game is that other games are not like it. Um, yeah that it, it, it does kind of well i think what's weird about it is that this game takes so much from other games oh yeah so much this is and the first the time stuff. that i've played a nintendo game and it really feels like people at nintendo are playing other people's games yeah but also, it's the first time i've ever been like man i'm glad somebody played that ubisoft game yeah because yeah. it really feels like they played far cry they played assassin's creed they played these other open world games that exist out there they played skyrim yeah. And at the same time, what really separates this as much as all of the interesting interlocking systems is that it just is totally bug free. Oh, it's so nice. Yeah. It's just it works. I've never had a crash on There's the, never a part of I've it that just feels kind it. of busted. Yeah. And that is the part that I think really sets it apart and that is also the part that I think is basically impossible for somebody else to copy. Because just, yeah. other game companies have proven themselves incapable Incapable. of making things this airtight. And this this is a game that takes from a lot of other games and improves on all of them by only taking the good parts and making sure that all those parts work. Yeah. And that's the part of it that will never be copied. Or at least that most game companies have proven themselves unable to copy just historically yeah oh certainly uh i mean it's sort of incredible that usually when we get a game like this we always have to say like i know it's really buggy but that's like the price you pay for having this sort of a sandbox to play in right and 
it's just astounding that finally, and this might never happen again. I mean, I think it know. will for, I think Nintendo can always do it. I think that what yeah. Nintendo has proven is that when Nintendo puts out a Zelda game, some of them are better than others, but they are never buggy and they are never objectively bad. Yeah, I guess. Name I, the bad one. I just really don't like Twilight Princess. So the problem is that you never. So the issue. Is yeah, Twilight I Princess. know. I know what you're gonna say, and I think that that's bullshit. That well, you should never. You didn't get to the good part. But if the back half of something is really stellar, it's still fifty percent amazing. I usually enjoy the front half. All right. Well, that's just the difference person. between us as, yeah. as people. Uh, are you into the back half? You into the front? I half? like a strong opening. I'm always much more invested in a strong opening, and I'll be much more forgiving of a game for having a bad back half if it has a very strong opening. I mean, that's Dark Souls one in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean that's that's most games actually in a nutshell. Yeah, I I think that that's the issue with Twilight Princess. Is it just it's structured in kind of a problematic way? But yeah. man, when it does start to click together at the it end, cranks. there it really moves. It's great. Yeah, which is unfortunate. Um, yeah, do you have anything else you want to say about it? I mean, it's, I guess, do you want to say, let's just say our favorite part about it. Oh, but like that's, my, okay, mine is just like the, fir- the very beginning of the game. I've already mentioned this. I was like, I'm going to climb that tree. And I climbed that tree. And I just, I remember having a smile on my face. And I was like, I think I can pick this apple. I could pick the apple. Yeah. You know, part of this was by virtue of going into it relatively innocently was like you know not no, not having read a whole lot about it not having watched very many videos and i knew that like anything was supposedly possible in this game that like if you just <laughs> see stuff like you can if you see it you can go there right i don't think that it it wasn't until like i was actually physically climbing that tree and it brought me such joy like such yeah. childlike glee um and I, I thought it was fantastic. I still think it's fantastic. I want to go play it some more. I'm actually going on a trip soon. So I'm oh. kind of like, I was like, should I bring the Switch? And like over the course of this conversation, I was like, yeah, I'm bringing the Switch. It's amazing to play it yeah. in transit because the whatever ride you're on just evaporates. Yeah. You suddenly are just now desperate to stay on this airplane because Zelda is happening. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to write a thing about this game. Uh, and... I'm yeah. having difficulty because I have so many positive feelings about it that expressing things concretely and in a like linear way is very difficult. But the thing I keep coming back to is if you think about like what is Zelda, right? Zelda is, if we think about it from the very beginning, the first screen of the first Zelda is that you're standing there and there are three paths in front of you and a cave, right? And you don't know where any of them go. Right? You have no idea. And if you stay there forever, you will live forever. Nothing will change. But then you just pick a direction and you go because you're like, I wonder what's over there. Yeah. And the whole game, Zelda in summation is the phrase, I wonder what's over there. And the discovery that there's always something over there. There's an enemy. There's an interesting like area that you see but can't get to. There's always something there. And what's cool about this game is that it is not like that first Zelda where your view is very constrained. In this game, you can see forever. Yeah. And in every single direction, it is worth asking, I wonder what is over there. And you are always rewarded for going to investigate. Whether or not it's like, I wonder what's in that tree or I wonder what's at the bottom of this lake. There will be something there for you to find. 
Yeah, I, I like the what you said about the fact that like in the original Zelda, you can stay on that screen forever and then you will live forever, but you will also never have an adventure. Yeah. And if like one of the conceits of Zelda is that like nothing, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained, like you, it's it's the joy of adventure, then like, boy, does this game deliver on that promise. But yeah. The joy of adventure and the joy of adventuring. It's, it's just, it feels like you are a kid again. Just like, it is, ma- it makes real Miyamoto's intent of like wanting to make a game that is like playing in your backyard and discovering like a cave in the woods that you didn't know was there. Yeah, because it's always it's always rewarding to try and find the answer to what's over there. Yeah. And that is crazy. And that is what I think beyond the polish, beyond everything else, like that is the part that other games consistently fail to deliver on is just providing me with something that makes me go, Oh, this was worth it. Yeah. What a fun trip that was. This was an adventure. Yes. And like, it might've gone really badly. And like, I blew up a lot of stuff and a lot of like that entire field is on fire. My horse is dead (laughs) and I am here now, but man, it was so crazy. Yeah. Uh, oh man, we're just both grinning. I'm just, just yeah. I'm just thinking about Zelda, and it's so, so good. So you're gonna get a review up pretty soon. You're hoping. I'm trying to, but it just, right. it's hard to encapsulate all my feelings. That's so understandable. I'm working on it. Um, I have a review, a sort of review of a section of Zelda that I think stands in for the whole. Of Very Zelda good. Yeah, that's up on the site currently. You can check that out. Um, and keep an eye out for Bob's upcoming review. That's on zerostars.co. C-O. We'll catch you next week. Yeah. Have a good week.